crushed it. I did allow myself a broad smile. Hurting hospitals. Crumbling for decades. And minor parties, time to shine. Pumped, we're ready to go. Welcome to One News Inside Parliament. It's our weekly catch-up about the political stories that we've been covering on One News as we head towards the election. Now let's start off with our pits and our peaks. And on that, we are only 100 days away from the election. 100, 100. Not many. And for us and the political team, obviously very exciting for us to start cranking and pivoting towards election coverage after COVID-19. So... A, a big milestone. Big milestone. I think I'm going to have a level one party and a 100 days party this weekend. That's a massive mm-hmm. combination. Mm-hmm. Who could get bigger? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what about for you guys? Highlights yep. of the week. Well, 84 days until voting opens, um, as I think uh, James Shaw pointed out on, on Twitter a, a short time ago as well. So you know, that's something parties, I think, increasingly think about as well, right? You can't actually leave it up to election day. You've got to be have all your policies out there and, and people sort of have to be fully informed before that early voting period opens. And I remember yeah. just recently talking with the head of the Electoral Commission, they were expecting more like higher numbers of people to vote early given the coronavirus, but whether or not things will have, you know, people will have forgotten about that now, things seem to be returning a bit to normal. I think people who are sure and know who they're going to vote for now do the early voting. I do think those swing voters still take their time and decide and go right up to the end. They perhaps watch those final debates in that last week. They look at the final polls in that last week and they do make up their mind then. So I think we're going to see um, really interesting times over this election. It, we're kind of in a new phase, if you like, and we'll, it'll be so interesting to see how people vote in in terms of when they choose to, what time. I still feel like there's a little something something to be said about voting on the day, you know that like excitement on today's the day and tonight we find out after, you know, you've dropped your um, voting paper into the ballot I think, you know, early voters, it's like no one's watching, no one's looking, there's no no cameras around, there's no no ceremony in it there's no sort of vibe if you you early vote, I mean I'm I'm not condoning, you know, just holding out until the last, because you know, we need to spread it out, people, we've got to spread it out you know get in there early if you can but there is something special in the air on the day right and so I like to sort of maybe vote vote on the day just on that though do you guys vote um you know some journos they don't really tend to vote in elections because they think you know it's better to be impartial I actually have done a massive u-turn on this in my political career I initially didn't vote I felt like it was easier to be impartial and then um over the years kind of felt like well I actually think that it's such an important thing to do and you can't go out and preach to everyone else to vote if you're not doing it yourself so I I changed my mind and I now do vote I think it's really important and I think particularly as a woman as well we fought hard um, in New Zealand to to get that um, not that long ago so I feel like for for reasons like that I've changed my mind on it but when yeah, I initially cool. started my editor at the time didn't vote and I and I think I followed his his lead and his reasoning and the arguments I can I can understand both sides but I now definitely vote mm, nice nice um look my highlight this week is a bit of a follow-on from the Black Lives Matter um, which uh, sort of spoke about a little bit in um, last week's podcast um, and um, today the Maori party you know vying to get back into Parliament trying to remain relevant 
Times, um, and they are calling today for a government inquiry um, into um, uh, getting rid of, identifying and getting rid of um, racist monuments and statues from our colonial era, um, something that we're obviously seeing around the globe. You know, everybody's sort of um, part of that wave, I guess, from the Black Lives Matter um, movement and protest and sort of um, bringing down those um, uh, symbols, I guess, of, of racism and, and, and the colonial past. So interesting, interesting topic, I thought, and something that isn't really new here in, in Aotearoa, New Zealand. We have had a number of Māori over the years deface and call for the removal of some of these statues. So, yeah, good, interesting topic and always something that's heavily debated around the uh, dining table, sure dining is. room table. Yeah, hey, and speaking of the election getting close, we've also seen... Um, campaigns kick off around the referenda that are coming up. Um, the Drug Foundation's going you know, pretty hard out. They've launched ads and I think they had a wraparound in the Christchurch Press this week. They're voting, um, campaigning for vote yes in the cannabis referendum. Um, and you've also got the um, Say No to Dope. Um, I think that's linked up Say with... Say Nope to Dope. Yeah, linked up with um, Family First. So I've been on, having a look at um, you know, some of their um, stuff on their website today, watching some of those videos as well. So things starting to heat up around those referendums as well which is interesting. Yeah, it is really interesting. And another um, noteworthy thing for those in, inside political circles, uh, there's a new chief press secretary for the National Party now that Todd Muller is in the job, and that's Janet Wilson, who will be a very familiar face to a lot of people. Um, she used to be a television New Zealand reporter and um, has been in the communication world for a long time. So really interesting to see her back in the corridors of power. Strong so that's get. something. Strong yeah, get good there. get for Todd Muller, for sure. Yeah, um, my pit this week um, has to go to uh, the police commissioner, Andrew Costa. Um, he started off good by sort of um, suggesting um, that in terms of, you know, the armed response teams, um, nope, didn't want them, didn't have a place here in New Zealand, only to follow that up with, um, you know, the idea of sponge bullets perhaps being used. Um, maybe we should have a look at using sponge bullets. And that just, you know, at first everyone was like, oh, good on you, Andy, all, all of these sort of anti-campaigners anyway against um, um, defenders got good on you, good on you. And then he said, oh, but what about these rubber bullets? And then, you know, just, yes. just huge and criticism of him I, um, for suggesting that. And I wonder if he was a bit um, taken aback. And uh, I think he may have regretted what he had said yesterday yeah. morning. I heard him this morning saying, if I'd thought of that through a little bit more uh, carefully Especially about the reaction, I, I wouldn't he, have said it. Yeah and, yeah, and I think he did sort of just throw it up in the air as a, as a bit of an idea but oh as an alternative to yeah, you, yeah. But yeah. when you but when you're the police commissioner when you throw up ideas that's a big deal so <laughs> yeah. welcome welcome yeah. to the big time sunshine yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, I've got a fun fact for um, people listening um, the government has launched that um, COVID-19 uh, relief payment which is sort of an alternative to the job seeker benefit um, and much more generous sixth just over 6,000 um, New Zealanders applied for that on Monday and Tuesday this week. And Monday was when it opened. Of course, you could apply online for it. Um, only, only about 600 have been granted. But MSD said, hey, look, it, it will take us numerous days to, uh, to, you know, to go through these applications and approve them or not. So it'll be fascinating to see how, how that number grows, whether we... It's going to get up into 50,000, not too sure. But it is open for a long time as well, so people who lose their jobs because of the coronavirus in coming months will still be able to access that as well. For for 12 weeks, I think you get that higher payment. Yeah, mm. and that'll give us a true idea, a true idea of of the amount of people losing their jobs, wouldn't it? 
instead of them going on to the normal benefit, which could also include others who perhaps didn't lose their job, it sort of and there, and you know, just are, gives us a yeah, better reflection. And, and, and there are a lot of restrictions around accessing the job seeker benefit, mm. right? That um, if your partner's got a job, even if they're just a bit over minimum wage, it makes it really hard for you to access that job seeker benefit. Whereas this um, new COVID-19 payment, <coughs> much higher um, <coughs> levels that your partner can earn. So you, you may well get a much better idea of the true number of job losses. Mm. Cool. Well, let's talk about our, our big story this week, and that has been switching to level one. And on Monday, we went into the press conference, and uh, every sign was pointing towards us going to level one on Wednesday at 11.59 yes, p.m. Yes. Wham, we're going in a couple of hours. So the Prime Minister's argument was, um, look, we don't have any force enforcement procedures, so why would we need to wait? Um, my first question to her yeah. was, what, how much impact did New Zealand first have on this decision um, about whether they felt the pressure and, and had to go into that? And I just think that for a lot of people, they were preparing for Wednesday and, and we'd been given multiple signals that week. Um, Grant Robertson was even asked about it on Friday when he fronted up to the media. He stressed that we had that 48 hours notice um, is what they've always given. And I do think that, yeah, people were ready to go, but there were a few people who thought, oh, okay, we can open now, but we were all geared towards going on on the Wednesday. And I can I can see why the Prime Minister said, look, we've just got to go as quickly as possible. But I can also see for like, a Pilates studio or for a cafe, if you were set for one thing, having to bring it forward would have been quite frustrating that they didn't signal that, even on the Sunday, hey, look, this might be a possibility that we go Because we don't away. Have, have to bring in those enforcement yeah, rules or anything, and, right? and give yeah. us some... Give yeah. Us some um, yeah, that caught me by surprise too. I was yeah. expecting, hey, we've got to go, but it would be that Wednesday. So come into effect sort of Thursday for business. Yeah, right? and just give people 48 mm. hours notice to prepare for that. So I, I did think it was quite an interesting call and I would really like to know the reasoning why the Prime Minister didn't want to signal that earlier. Didn't um, Winston Peters say he did a little war dance over that? Um, yeah, he did a war dance. She did, <laughs> did you say war dance? Yes, I, yeah. I think that's um, what Winston Peters said. And to she make sure did a we little went, dance. Yes, so, and, but, and, uh, to get that change made on the Monday, yeah. he was saying. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the, um, <clears throat> and the, the info um, on the Sunday night, which they said they received, um, that our last um, uh, patient had recovered would have been um, the, the sealing of the deal, I guess. But no doubt that was the government and also Ashley Bloomfield simply reading the mood of the public that everybody was ready to move the pressure was piling on the government not only from Todd Muller National but also Winston Peters for weeks now um, and so yeah I think they didn't have a choice other than to go that night yeah and I but I did think it was quite interesting um one of our colleagues Kate Nicol will will Kate, sorry, I'm mucking Kate, up names. Yep. Kate, we'll go with that. Um, I don't think the M&Ms and talking is a great idea. Yes, I yes. should tone down on those. But Kate went out and talked to um, people coming in off the train and one of the women was saying, oh, look, I was not expecting to be back in the office until um, Wednesday and, and it's been two and a half months since I've been on a train. And actually that was quite a big deal, being shoulder to shoulder with yeah. strangers again. And I thought, yeah, on that level, I can kind of understand that, you know, that did move, that was a bit bit faster than people expected so well, one of the things that kind of I was a bit taken aback by and you in in the track that you ran on the move to level one was we we kind of saw um, ministers out and about was it Tuesday yeah this week um you know giving hong doing hongi and stuff like that and I was like whoa you know the, the, yeah after so long of sort of trying to keep your distance from other people mm. who aren't in your bubble to see you know the, the, the sort of 
crowding around of your politicians and the honging and the handshakes and the kisses and stuff like that. It was you know, sort of quite... It's only going to ramp up from here. Yeah, eh? and it was really interesting because there, we only used one line in the story, but there were lots of really amazing pictures from the Prime Minister out and about at the Kiwi Pack House and just her being swarmed. And uh, a few months ago, that wouldn't even have really been that noteworthy. That's no. what happens all the time when she goes out. There are, you know, any Prime Minister goes out or there are lots of people gathered around. Um, but it is quite confronting, I guess is the right word, now that we haven't had it for a while and suddenly we can kind of just go back and, um, you know, sh- yeah. together all in the same little pit again. I've been riding the bus to work um, for a couple of weeks now, but today was the first time that I actually, that there were no single, that there were no sort of aisle seats left or anything like that. I had to sit next to someone. And I was like, oh, is this, oh, is this all right? So I sat down and he was fine. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. So this is us, level one. We're back to <laughs> yeah, normal. Yeah. 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 Um, Hello, friend. Yeah. 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 <laughs> how, yeah. And I mean, and just like you said, how quickly things have changed. But also that's a sign of how quickly we, we really did get on top of this thing. Um, and, you know, sometimes you've got to sort of sit back and think, wow, you know, we, we did it and, and we did it rather quickly. Um, not not from a business um, sense, I guess, because of the the you know crushing pressure that they're now under. But you know, by all accounts, we did it quickly, and we're seeing um, that um, reflected in overseas coverage as well. Um, you know, multiple media outlets across the globe sort of t- looking to us and talking about the fact that we have gotten on top of this virus. It's you know something to be celebrated as a nation. I think crushed it. Crushed it, baby. <laughs> and that's maybe a nice, nice time to move on to our next topic. And that um, was your story that you did yesterday about the hospitals and the state of our uh, hospital and, and healthcare system and the facilities. What was your take on all of that? Yeah, well, obviously it was sparked by, you know, those incredible pictures that I think we all remember, um, you know, at Middlemore Hospital, one of the buildings there, sort of leaky and mouldy walls. You could see the the wood rotting through the walls and that sort of sparked off um, the need for a nationwide stock take. Um, And so as part of that, um, you know, they looked at 1,100 buildings across 20 DHBs across the country and some really sort of not surprising stats, um, at least that's what you know. A lot of the people in charge, ministers, right through to health professionals on the front line, say, "Look, it's nothing new for us. We've been battling in these environments for a long time. Buildings have been crumbling around us." Um, but I think it was good to to have it all laid out, to have it all sort of, you know, here it is. It's not just anecdotal anymore. Um, here it is um, in black and white. Um, the only problem with that, of course, is that you know the the plan to fix this and to move forward now is going to take another two years. Um, and that's expected out in 2022. And I think Nationals Michael Woodhouse made a good point in his little grab in our story yesterday that this is a report essentially recommending another report two years away. One of the things that stuck with me, actually in a Radio New Zealand story that I listened to, was that they had um, rooms with the ceilings that were so low that the lights were, the, the people operating had to literally move around to make sure they weren't banging their heads into lights. And just little things like that that you think, in New Zealand we think of ourselves as having um, such a a generous and a good health system which of course we do and the people involved but you do want these guys to have facilities that work and make their jobs easier you know for a lot of us who are lucky enough not to spend a lot of time in hospitals you want the people who do have to be there and who have to work there to be in an environment that helps them work more effectively yeah um part of your story said I went and picked up um, 
um, lady who sort of organises, helps organise nurses and nursing rosters and stuff at, at outside Wellington Hospital. And I had a chat with her, and, and and she was saying, you know, it's they they have nurses and midwives in hospitals, you know, where there's no air conditioning, and they get given ice blocks to try and keep them cool. And I think they they, they do that with patients as well, right? Because the the buildings are so old and crappy, mm. you know, they're not fit for purpose. So here, here's an ice block. You know, it's kind of amazing that you've got, you've got health healthcare working in environments like that. But the answer to that question is massive, massive piles of cash. And that's the thing that we're talking about is, you know, we've got 14, was it 14, 14 billion? billion dollars. And, and that, that's a 2018 estimate. So yeah. now in 2020, it's got to be way more than that. Yeah, you know, now. and that's what we're talking about here. Like, it's massive billions and billions of dollars. But then it'll be 2022 by the time you get the next report. And yeah. then will they do anything? Yeah. Probably not in a hurry. You and, know? And so will it be 2025 before you kick off this For work? a fundamental of a, of a you know, developed society is our healthcare system. And know? the government, you know, they argue, look, we've already put in, since we've been, you know, in government this one term, we've put in $3.5 billion. Mm. Um, it's a huge investment. Um, national, though, saying, look, you know, we put in just, just as many. So it's a, it's a sort of, you know, he said, she said sort of argument around the funding. It's best not to really get into it too much. Um, but the other interesting thing was they need $2 billion just for the IT system. And just for those of you who may not have sort of um, seen the story, I'll give you a couple of um, quick numbers here. 80% of the ICUs um, are poorly designed, 40% of operating theatres are too small, over half of our mental health units are designed more like prisons. Those are just a snippet of the numbers that we saw in that report yesterday. Well, going from one thing that needs a rev up to another group that needs a rev up, the minor parties um, who aren't in Parliament at the moment, um, we're looking into a story at the moment about those parties who are outside Parliament. They now have 100 days. What are they doing to try and get back into Parliament? I mean, our latest polling had them barely registering, not in the ballpark of getting over that magic 5% needed to get into Parliament. Let's go. 100 days. What are you going to do? What do you guys well, it's reckon? A, it's a really, really tough gig, isn't it? Trying to fight your way into Parliament with that five percent threshold. It's so high. It's just so high, mm. and it's it's going to be really hard for them. Multi parties, obviously, they're trying to resurrect themselves from the political ashes. They've got a tough job, as I said last week, against the Labor Maori Caucus, especially when they just threw up almost a billion dollar budget. Um, so tough gig. Top always sort of teetering there around the sort of one percent. Mark, near and nearabouts the Māori Party as well. Yeah, we'll see how they go. Shall I just go through, mm. a, or you go first, and then I'll, well, I was going to go uh, through some numbers. It's just yeah. so hard for them to get oxygen, right? Um, and they'll get more and more as you get into the, the election campaign and you sort of look to look to other parties, um, you, know, you know, for their perspectives and stuff. <clears throat> but, you know, when, you, when you're outside of Parliament, I think you're very hard for them to be getting oxygen. Yeah, because, I mean, this is the difference you've got here, and this is in our latest poll um, that came out a few weeks ago. And you've got the parties that are in. You've got the Greens, 4.7%, so there or thereabouts. You've got New Zealand First, 2.9%, there or thereabouts. Yikes. Need a yeah, couple more a percent to get in. <clears throat> a little bit of trouble. Um, Act, 2.2%, which is a big number for them. But then you come down to the Māori Party, 1.2%. 
that's just that's just not going to be close enough even within the margin of error. Um, Opportunity Party 0.5%, New Conservatives 0.4%, Social Credit, which is sparking attention for the first time in one, two, three, four, five, six, in seven polls, 0.3%. Um, Vision New Zealand um, is 0.1%. Um, the New Zealand Outdoor Party, which I feel like I should know more about, is 0.1%. So what, what was ACT on in your last one? ACT was on 22 <laughs> Right. Um, and the other one that registered was the Legalised Cannabis Party. They actually didn't get any support in this poll, but they've they've kind of teetering around that 0.1.2%. So looking at those numbers, it's you've they've just got to get some airtime, think of some interesting ideas, and sell themselves. And it just feels like. Uh, yes, we've had COVID-19 and I think everyone's attention has been away, but mm. now it feels like we're in recess this week and I think for a lot of people we're going, okay, we've we've gone through this, um, we've gone through COVID-19, we've gone through uh, the budget, we've gone through the leadership coup, now let's think about the election and I think that's what these minor parties need to do. And, and you know... <sighs> Maybe maybe for them they need to try and cosy up to one of those bigger parties as ACT has done and sort of try and form a deal if they seriously want to try and get into Parliament because cracking that 5% is just so hard. Maybe that's the only way they could do it. Yeah, and win, I, a seat, win a seat or hook up, with a, hook up with a big party and sort some sort of deal out maybe. Yeah. Maybe the Māori Party needs to hook up with Labour and they'll give them one seat and they can have some friends and come in, especially if New Zealand First isn't looking too hot on the old on the old pulse. Now that's never going to happen folks but geez. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember Simon Bridges used to constantly say oh you know um, there are other players coming to watch this space yeah. there's another player coming. Yeah. We've never really seen that no. come true. Yeah now, well there was another, another player, player coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm not quite sure if that's what he meant. Yeah. Uh, but you're right because yeah. consistently he was saying there are other parties in the mix. Um, and watch this space. Watch yeah. this space and it just didn't eventuate and I wonder if that didn't happen because of COVID-19 or or it's going to happen or I mean we've had this teal party that's been talked about but we've literally got 100 days to go it's this is not a lot of time you can't I Mm. just feel like that you've got to it's a bit late in lots of ways I just think things have got to get going what do you guys think or do you think there's still time for the small parties yeah tough yeah yeah I just think we're going to see really um especially with labor even just cannibalizing even established players yeah. right like the greens and new zealand first at the moment yeah you yeah. know sucking up their support but the <laughs> whole there's no way any of them are going to hit the five percent i think you have to win a seat if you're a, if you're outside of parliament the only one who even looks like they might even have a little sniff of a chance to do that is the maori party in those maori seats mm. and i don't see top and any of the others having a good crack at any of those electorate seats and without an electorate seat they won't get to five percent but that's the whole beauty of of mmp we want a colorful uh, debating chamber when we look around and we have all the colors blocked out with the with the different parties we want it to be colorful we want um different groups Represented that's, yeah, and different that's views the whole and perspectives, point. right? Yeah. yeah. So on that note, um, after sharing our views and perspectives, this was One News Inside Parliament, our weekly catch-up about the political stories we've been covering on One News as we head towards the election just 100 days away. We're on Instagram, Twitter and on Facebook. It's available around this time each week on One News Online and check us out on your favourite podcasting app. See you next week. 